0: This show is supported by you. Go, go. This is Cup of Go for January 19th, 2024. Keep up to date with the important happenings in the Go community in 15 minutes per week. I'm Yardan Leifenfeld.
1: And I'm Shine Ahmad. What are you doing here?
0: Yay! <laughs> I just came for the first sentence.
1: Yeah, all right. You can you can log off now. It's fine. <laughs> thanks, John, for being stuck in the mountains in Guatemala and giving us the chance to host your den. And uh, thanks, your den, for apparently reading every message in the Gopher uh, Slack so fast that you beat all the re- the other people we invited.
0: Yeah. Well, the second I saw the message, I was like, okay, how fast do I answer this to not be like super <laughs> uh, nice. excited about it, but still to get it first?
1: Yeah. I think it should be, it's like if Russ will ever like respond to our messages on the Gopher Slack and be like, yeah, I think now it's a good time to jump on. I'll be like, okay, should I answer him <laughs> now? I'll like show the phone to my wife. Is that desperate? Should I, should I wait? I'll wait. I'll wait. So welcome. <laughs> welcome on the show. Let's start with proposals. What do you say?
0: I say let's start with the proposals.
1: So I have a real fun one. Uh, it got declined. Someone asked that the Go tool. Output will only include ASCII, won't include the Unicode characters. And first, uh, like riddle of the day, where do you have like Unicode characters in the output?
0: I don't know. It doesn't have like a progress bar or something, right?
1: No. So when you have bench stats, they have like the microsecond uh, like, icon Okay. Uh, and the plus minus, which is a Unicode character as well. And also so like numbers that are superscripted, like small and on the top of the row Uh for like uh, citations and whatever. And that person was like, it doesn't render well in some terminals. Unsurprisingly, this proposal was declined because the response was, we're running terminals for like 30 years. What's the problem? Like there is Unicode support. Apparently, life is not uh, equal for everyone. And on PowerShell... It's not like it's not rendered, but when you put it in a file, it's UTF-16, which sucks for many reasons. I guess the main one being it doesn't work really well with Git. You can't really see the differences and whatever. I experienced it with Helm, not specifically with Go, where you have like a Helm template, you pipe it to a file, and then it looks shit in in like VS Code. and, And specifically in Git diffs, you just can't compare it. So... This person tried to open uh, this proposal in Go. And I really, I I feel your pain. Extemporal genome, Kevin Gillette from uh, Denver. You have to use uh, (laughs) PowerShell and that's your problem. And uh, this was rejected. And there was another issue opened for, let's make it happen in PowerShell specifically. And then that issue was also declined. It's not a proposal yet, but...
0: Poor Kevin from Denver.
1: Yeah. They want to open it specifically in, they want to solve it specifically for PowerShell. So I would say just use WSL.
0: So they, well, yeah, always, or just Linux straight away. But um, so they, they want to recognize that it's PowerShell and then like not output Unicode.
1: So it's working as intended when it's written as UTF-16 LE L-E-C-R-L-F, but it's just, it looks really, really bad and Benchstat doesn't work with them because Benchstat expects UTF-8. So it just doesn't work. If you re-encode them, then it works. And there's just a few options here just because this is super standard PowerShell. This is not something to do with Go. There's no solution here yet. They just like represent a problem and a bunch of options to... To solve it, one of them is in WSL, it's end-to-end UTF-8 and it works. So they need to figure out a way to like recognize that it's UTF-8 16 or maybe add support for UTF-16. I don't know. Encoding is hard. Honestly, I think uh, if everybody's using UTF-8 and it works for everybody, I'm sorry, original poster, but maybe you should. uh, I'm sorry, Kevin, but maybe you should move to uh, Linux shell as well. So we started with a declined proposal. Let's go to something a bit more hopeful.
0: Yeah, so there is a proposal. It's for a new go build flag, which is JSON to have the go build output in JSON format. Its status is likely to be accepted, and it's in the final comment period, which means like if you have a few more things you want to add, this is this is a time to do that. And the t- proposal is well, I'll, I'll tell you what the problem is first. So the problem is that you might be feeding your test output to some JSON parser reader, but then. If you have a build error, then that build error isn't in JSON format. So your parser, your reader will not work. And so the the problem specifically is with tests, but then they kind of uh, expanded that to just having go build, have a JSON flag so that its output would be in JSON format.
1: And what does the output include? Because when I run go build, normally it doesn't print anything and just builds and it happens super fast. So I never thought about it. Yeah. But what might it include?
0: So I think the most interesting case is just in fail when, when there's a failure. And so you want to know like what that failure was, where it came from. Sometimes it's from like an import. So it's important to know the trace of that import. I think that's about it. Like where the error happened, what it is.
1: I'm wondering, you're saying like there's a pipeline where I run go test and then if if the build fails, then I'm going to get non-JSON output and it's going to mess up like the rest of my pipeline, right? Let's say it's a GitHub Actions pipeline. Yeah. But shouldn't I ch- have checked the like error code first? Maybe I could have discovered it that way. I'm wondering if GoTest errors if some of the tests fails.
0: I think so. I would expect that. Exit
1: code. You're seeing live uh, research. <laughs> Document exit codes of Go test.
0: I also know that when you like compile sego. it also has some output even if the build doesn't fail so i wonder how that works with this new json proposal i think
1: people who who want to probably have like more involved build processes would benefit from json output anyway because they could pass it to like benchmarking tools and whatever yeah by the way exit status is one for most failures and two if the build was interrupted so theoretically you could like, look at the error code and if it's to do something else. But honestly, if you want to pipe JSON between commands, it's a lot easier. Yeah. Also, than, like,
0: uh, if you're doing it in Bash or something, that's not fun.
1: Yeah. Uh, so this is likely accept, right?
0: Yeah. Also,
1: it's... Final comment period. Yeah. Dum, dum, dum. They,
0: they've written, they've created the PR for it and it's almost done, but there's... Still needs to be tests written. So if anyone wants to write tests or wants to start contributing to Go an extra interest in JSON, that'd be cool.
1: Yeah, it's it's not a huge pull request. It's not very intimidating. I'm looking at it, it's like, I don't know, a hundred lines added overall. I think it's a good place to maybe take a look, maybe do some code review. Could be cool. Even though the I, I still maintain that the like a Go review interface is very, very intimidating. This like a website with a, a Million different buttons, and you know, I'm very used to uh, more simpler workflows.
0: Yeah, the website kind of reminds me of uh, you know, when you're looking up some really, really weird problem, and then you get to those mailing lists, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what not a good reminder. Not
1: a, yeah, it's a, I, I think it's the modern day equivalent of the Oracle at Delphi. You like go up there, it's all smoke and weird people dancing and whatever. So, yeah, it's final comment period, and um. It should uh, be introduced soon. Go contribute code and comments if you're, you want to JSON in your Go builds. Uh, I'm just waiting for the minus YAML flag, but my previous YAML uh, suggestion was uh, rejected. So I assume this one will be rejected as well. We said we weren't going to do uh, Go 122 things, uh, but we are going to do one of them because it's just too interesting.
0: You know, I feel like I hear this in every episode. can't believe <laughs> I'm hearing it live now. It's exciting. <laughs> and, and you're
1: hearing me. Not fulfilling that proposal, like, <laughs> that promise, like we do in every episode. <laughs> but I don't know. This is a special one, right? You have guests over, so normally you don't have chocolate. But hey, let's put out cho- more uh, snacks and whatever.
0: Yay, go 122 um, for me.
1: Yes. So I want to talk about range. There's new range syntax with two like suggested cases, one for int and one for func. The int one is pretty simple, right?
0: I approve of the int one.
1: Just for people, I obviously understand it, no question, like no problem. But in case someone else doesn't understand it here on this call.
0: (laughs) So it's just, if you want to iterate from one number to another, for instance, like from zero to three, you'd have to do, you'd have to create a variable and then do i equals zero and then have it plus one every iteration of the loop and then check for it be three, you know, in the for loop syntax. I think this is a pretty common thing people know about. And so the proposal is, or I guess it's not a proposal, it's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what's going to happen is that you're going to be able to do for range and then a number, right? It can be a number or a variable that is a number. And then it will just iterate that number of times. I think it's cool.
1: Siebs, which we had on the show here, uh, mentioned that... You know, this is synthetic sugar, basically. You can't do this with a normal four. And I think it sort of goes, at least on a surface level, for me, it went against the go way of there's only one way to do things. And like, why are we introducing two ways to iterate over uh, numbers? But Sieves, who was on the C standards committee and like, you know, defined the standards for four uh, for loops uh, or worked on them. Wrote a really, really insightful comment where he shows how when you have the full syntax of like four i uh, walrus zero i is smaller than n i plus plus, and then you use i inside the for loop, you have like seven different ways to do it. And you, if you want to understand what's the what's happening in the iteration you have to like read three things and understand the relationship between them. And just a simple common case being spelled more unambiguously should reduce bugs and make code clearer. And I think that's a really good point. Even if there is one way to do a thing, after so many years that the language exists and we have so, so much code to look at, we can take the common case and simplify it. It's fine.
0: I have to admit that I think I've done... Like I've wrote the, the new syntax a few times and I've been surprised that it doesn't work.
1: <laughs> yeah. So this is not like a proposal. Uh, it's accepted and you can already start working with it. We'll put the link in the show notes, but you can start working with the experiment right now. If if you are on like the latest uh, build or whatever, you can turn on the go experiment equals range func, uh, like feature flag, like environment variable. And yeah, your program will just uh, work with these new features. The... Sort of the reason we're mentioning it this week, actually, is that Go uh, 122 includes an implementation of this change, but it's not part of the language yet. It's just an experiment. And the Go team is sort of calling for people who want to use it and want to try it out, want to give feedback and report bugs and whatever, you know, any problems or even success stories so they know what the use case is. They want the community to try out this change by, by turning on this feature flag and just compiling in like your program with it. So it's on the go wiki now.
0: But do you know, if, if everyone was like, this isn't working well for me, we don't like it, will they not put it into 122 or 123 whenever it's supposed to get in?
1: So it is going to be in 122 as an experiment. I think they do treat it as an experiment. Like they have an hypothesis and the hypothesis might fail. Remember when they did the telemetry? And they were like, yeah, we're going to introduce telemetry. And then everybody pushed back and then they changed the decision from opt-out to opt-in. They, they listen to the community. They, they treat these experiments with respect. I don't think this is a done deal. However, I do think that people really want it. Like they bitch about it because it's new syntax, because people don't have an innate resistance to, to change. But especially the int one, people. it's very hard to argue with it, I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. But what's the not, not, non-int one?
1: Um, So you can range over functions and that one is a bit more uh, spicy. It basically builds on uh, generics. It's it's there because, you know, now that we have generics, you want to allow like sort of more functional iterations kind of thing. I have to admit, I can read it. I can understand it. But at least for now, it takes me five to ten rereads to look at the syntax before I just like get it. It's a little less procedural and like normal than what Go usually produces. And it has a yield keyword. Basically, it's Python now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this one I don't like that much.
1: I think like generics, it's for 90% of the code, you'll never need to like think about it. For the other 10% where you might want it, it might be useful. I have to admit, I I, I tried to read this a few times and there were a few seconds where it clicked, but it, it didn't land for me yet. But, you know, basically, I don't know, you have strings dot split. I think that's the easiest example I found, right? Right now it returns the slice with all the results, but you could generate it instead of, you could have it like be a generator instead of a slice. So you want to range over the function and have it yield the, like, substrings that you split from a string if it's a really really big string you don't want to load it all into memory this syntax is useful for implementing that
0: but but there is workarounds like it doesn't have to be just the syntax
1: yeah I don't think it's required for anything but I already see we will put the link uh, in the show notes but already people are using it to do things that theoretically you could do before but people didn't implement uh, where you have someone wrapping database SQL, I want to get their name right because uh, Akil Russell wrapped the standard library database SQL with Go122 range functions. So you have to like turn on the Go experiment and download Go122 RC1 to, to play around with it. But now you can get the like uh, result by doing for uh, result uh, error walrus range SQL range query. So you iterate over the results of a query in in SQL and it's like memory efficient. It doesn't load all of them to memory and does like a dog and pony show. Where it theoretically feeds it to you. It, it actually like queries one by one with pagination or whatever behind the scene. So should be memory efficient, should be cool. Syntax is kind of, I would call it modern art to be <laughs> uh, complimentary. It's, it's not obvious, but, you know, resource management is automated. You don't have to remember to close the rows because you don't manage them whenever you yield a row it gets closed automatically like works really well and looks good looks modern so there are legitimate use cases that i don't think you'll be you would have been able to write you you definitely couldn't have written them without generics cuz you know you query something from sql you don't know what it is but this little bit of syntactic sugar with the range which in reality hides this whole concept of ranging and and like generating and stuff like that i think it is a, sh- a big shift even if you could work around it and produce the same machine code uh, with uh, normal uh, Go code. But again, this is an experiment. Go experiment with it. Definitely, I, if you have a case where you could play around with it, please do and give the Go team feedback. We talked about like contributing to Go before, right? There was a, a change, uh, a code change. Playing around with stuff and finding bugs is, is usually 10 times more valuable in open source and easier. It's also easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really a good way to get uh, you know some Twitter likes and some some open source clout. I found bugs in 122.
0: <laughs> it's what every go developer wants, right? Yeah.
1: Me and Russ Cox are basically the same person.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I'm a All go right. contributor. I wrote that I don't like this new feature.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I upvoted with heart in <laughs> GitHub discussions. Exactly. Uh, cool. So that's uh, this week for like proposals and official uh, language stuff. Uh, but we do want to look at some more community stuff. You found a really cool... Actually, both of us found this really cool blog post from uh, Incident.io.
0: Yeah, that's how you know that it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so the blog post, I, I recommend you read it, but I will... It's called Debugging Go Compiler mm-hmm. Performance in a Large Code Base. I think that the main point is how to reduce compile time. And it's, first of all, before I, I say the, how they did this, I think it's interesting because one of the things that Go is most known for is for being easy to compile and quick to compile. So it's interesting to have that be an issue for you and Go. But basically, um, what they did was they, apparently you can look at how what's taking up most of your build time. You can use uh, two flags, which is debug action graph or debug trace, and then you give it to uh, specific tools. And then they kind of show you what's taking time to compile. And for instance, if you have what they're showing here is that they have dependencies uh, between their packages. And because of the way those dependencies work, the, the compiler can't build all of the packages at once. So it's building a package and then another package, And then it's taking much more build time than if it could do all the packages in parallel. And so their solution was to change the way their packages depended on one another in a way that allowed them to build together in parallel.
1: I was really surprised by the way they approached it. This is a really good blog post. I, I really like it. So there's a linter called DepGuard, uh, which I always assume was just like, I want to make sure I don't import test by accident. And I, I never would have thought to like, tell them to like, use DepGuard to say, okay, I really want this dependency to compile first because it's the biggest one or it's, uh, everybody else depends on it. So I'll make sure it doesn't uh, import anything as well or doesn't depend on anything as well using DepGuard. So you can push some configuration into DepGuard to make sure that your package only depends on the standard library. Super cool trick! I never would have thought of it.
0: Yeah, the tricks are cool. The the flags and the tools they mention here, I I haven't heard of them. I haven't used them, and so even if you're not having build uh, compile time issues, I'd say it's worth checking out.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, there are a few cool viewers here, and and. The thing, like if it compiles in 10 seconds, but by following this blog post, you can make it compile by one second. It's worth the time, right? Your company is going to compile it, I don't know, a thousand times a day. The ROI is there. If you invest two hours and uh, three months, it's going to come back. Yeah. Developer experience is almost always worth uh, working on. So really cool blog post. Incident IO. This is not sponsored, but they have a cool site. Like I opened the homepage and, and it looks cool. Work with a lot of companies, cool stuff. Thanks, Vincent So, from really useful, nice, cute Go stuff, I'm gonna tell about something less. Uh, I would say less fun, but also more fun. At least for me, it's fun. Just Go. So, AT and T, uh, Alien Labs research, specifically Offer Caspi. This is uh, from December, so it's a bit of uh, old news, but still. So, Offer is a security researcher over at Alien Labs at for us on uh, Twitter. And uh, he found Go malware that has really deep malware-ish uh, capabilities. It connects to a command and control server and like can run a bunch of commands. And you know, it has a ton of persistence methods. If you don't know what that means, basically means once it's installed, it's very hard to remove. And they sort of shared in the blog posts uh, of goes to how, for example, the malware conducts checks to make sure it's not running within a VM. So when you analyze malware, at this point, it's, it's a cat and mouse game, right? Between the malware developers and the security researchers trying to hunt these uh, pieces of software. Now, a common practice is, okay, I'll take a sample of the malware, put it on a VM, and then if it behaves maliciously, then I, I know it's, this uh, binary is the malware. This specific malware looks for MAC addresses that look like VM addresses that are like well known. They have a a lot of capabilities pinging Google, creating files, listing files, making HTTP requests, printing random numbers, creating directories. And the malware collects a lot of information from the victim and then sends all that data to the command and control server and waits for like further commands. Details like login information, password encryption keys, cookies and browser credentials and history. And I don't know if you're starting to sweat, but this is really uncomfortable. Luckily, uh, looks like this was uh, malware mostly to make money and not for like government level spying. It's mostly for cryptocurrency. They're looking for like crypto wallet addresses.
0: Not sure luckily is luckily for who.
1: <laughs> I don't don't know. I'm fine. You know, if basically you're a government. they're both developers. They need to get paid. I get my paycheck from my employer. They get their paycheck through my browser extensions. <laughs> End of the day, money is green. <laughs> no, obviously I don't condone uh, <laughs> their work and I'm really happy offer I uh, found them.
0: Don't develop malware. But if you do, do it and go.
1: Yeah, for sure. We condone if you do malware research, if you do white hat malware development for research purposes only, uh, do it and go. Uh, and what, again, one interesting thing is they even managed to, I guess, go over the UTF-16 limitations because uh, their malware works in Windows and in macOS. So maybe they should be the one to resolve that issue from the beginning. right? With the...
0: Yeah, malware guys, talk with Kevin. Yeah. Kevin, talk with malware guys.
1: You know, it might be the other way around. Maybe Kevin is the malware developer and he's frustrated <laughs> with his development cycle. Um so yeah, uh, a really, really in-depth blog post. I, I went over the like the top details, uh, but I do recommend you go read it. They're like cool screenshots and, and explanation. It's a, it's a really good research, uh, awesome work offer. And let's hope we do see, but we don't see, but we do see, but we don't see any more <laughs> go malware uh, soon.
0: Uh, okay, so last thing I want to talk about, because I'm replacing him today. Uh, <laughs>
1: You're upgrading him today. (laughs) Uh,
0: John posted a blog post about error handling in Go. It's called error handling in Go. Web apps shouldn't be so awkward. The first thing I have to mention is that you should open the blog post just for the picture. It's a guy with a shoe on his head, but the guy isn't John. (laughs) It's just a random guy (laughs) with a shoe on his head, which obviously represents how awkward error handling is in Go web apps. So he presents a problem. The problem is that basically when you have the, when you use a regular HTTP standard library package, you're going to create HTTP handler funcs, and those don't return an error. And then to deal with the error, you can call HTTP.error. I actually didn't know this was a thing before this blog post. And he goes on to say that most people don't really use HTTP.error Uh, because they have their own way of handling errors and sending them back to the browser. So that's why I didn't know about it either. But basically, it's awkward, Like as he says. I do agree that it's awkward. Do you agree that it's awkward?
1: Yeah, like the normal HTTP functions get the response writer and the request, but they don't return error. And normally, I can just return error when I want.
0: So he does propose a way to return error, which is basically just to create this like middle function, which will wrap the error that you return with an HTTP error. It's cool. It's cool because he's also writing an experimental library to do it uh, so that you can just use his library. And he does mention a few ways to do it with other libraries, but they might be a little heavy for your use case. And he gives like a few best practices here.
1: I'll take the community aside on this. And I'll just say, <laughs> I mean, this is a well-intentioned blog post about a real topic that, uh, you know, Jonathan is working on. And if you open Reddit, it's like, idea presented in 2011, link to the Dev blog. Like, I don't want to work with the people who lurk on Reddit. <laughs> I think it's, I'm going to make it an anti-requirement for job interviews in the future. <laughs> Do you post regularly on the Golang uh, uh, subreddit? You know, but there are, in between all the blah, blah, there are some considerations here, right? You don't want to mix your application logic with error handling. So you know, you, basically what the, some people said here, for example, stone against the C on Reddit, was like HTTP handler should validate and then call a method that assumes that everything's okay. And you know, if it returns an error, it's not the handler's uh, concern. They should just propagate the error right back up. Um, And they they would sort of want to make sure that only one person can do HTTP status code, like only the handler function. And the rest of the code shouldn't worry about it. So there should be some translation layer between native errors and HTTP errors, which I think does make sense, but it doesn't exactly contradict what Jonathan is saying. It's like, okay, so there's another reason for error handling to be awkward that we haven't discussed it.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I've definitely gotten to the point where I wanted to return an error and they haven't been able to. And yeah,
1: and then you get to the point where you want to include details in the error because you know the the client can maybe retry or or things like that. I think one good thing to to take from here is just to remember that uh, HTTP does have more than just OK and error. Recently, I've been interviewing people, and uh, part of the interview process is to write an HTTP web server. And even the people who return who remember to like return an error. They don't remember to return like 404 when they need to and 500 when they need to and 429 when they need to. Like they don't remember the different codes.
0: What's the one where it's like, uh, I'm a teapot, right?
1: 429 is too many requests, actually. It is a legitimate one, even though it sounds like a bullshit number. (laughs) Um, But if you're already taking the, like, working on your and refactoring your error handling in HTTP, make sure your errors in HTTP are the correct ones, actually. Make it less awkward and correct. All right. So that's what we have for you all this week. Yeah, then. thanks a lot for jumping on.
0: Thanks for having me. This was fun.
1: Stick around to the ad break to hear about our beautiful supporters and some other cool stuff. <music> this show is supported by you. Last week, we opened the Patreon. We're really, really excited about it. Because we were pretty sure we're going to open it and maybe like our moms would contribute and (laughs) then we would get stuck. Uh, But no, we got supporters. We really, really appreciate it. We want to shout you out just because it's a lot of fun to have you. But obviously the people with the hardest name on the planet uh, decided to join the Patreon. But first of all, uh, Josh Bleeker-Snyder, a friend of the show, uh, go check out his podcast, uh, Significant Bits. Thanks, Josh, for uh, joining the audience. We have Will Roden. Frederick Averpil, Podulinski Leonid, Lucien Koffe, and this is the really the toughest one, Jens Kieligzewe. I, I literally have no idea how to say these words. These are sort of uh, sort of uh, like last name that would mess up that guy's terminal because it's <laughs> like a Nordic O with a <laughs> line through it. Thanks a lot for contributing to the show. We really, really, really appreciate it. This is a pretty expensive hobby to, to maintain. You then had to bribe some security guards (laughs) on the way to the Microsoft offices where we're recording the episode. Uh, So, you know.
0: Don't put that on air.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So thanks all for supporting us. If you want to, you know, learn more about how you can support us, maybe buy some swag, join the Patreon, join our Slack community at the Gopher Slack, Uh, listen to all the episodes or send us emails. You can find all these uh, links and more at cupogo.dev. That is C-U-P-O-G-O dot D-E-V. And you can email us at news at That is news at Finally, another really good way to support the show is to share it and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. PowerShell, apparently. <laughs> uh, and just share this, uh, you know, this episode with uh, your local Go community. We've been getting really good responses on the sort of new season. And we really want to keep going. And I think the only last thing to mention is that I think John is going to be at Fosdem pretty soon. So if you want to meet up with him, make sure you go to Fosdem. Yarden, anything else you want to plug in the ad break? Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: People have already checked out, so you can like literally say anything.
0: If you want to talk to me, I'm also in the Cup of Go Slack, but I don't read it as often as you guys. Um, I'm on Twitter too, Yarden, L-A-I-F. I don't know, thanks, Microsoft, for hosting me.
1: Thanks, Microsoft.
0: And, and thanks for PowerShell. We love PowerShell. <laughs> yeah,
1: thank you, PowerShell. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you all next week.